cool. The man, the myth, the legend. Of John yeah, we're Young. talking about we're we're talking about Uncle David Weck, right? Of so course, he's yeah. On the call. He's on the call, <laughs> <laughs> watching over us as always. Uh, um, Uncle Weck. I feel safer already. <laughs> I do. I feel more anxiety. Oh <laughs> uh, man, when was the when was the last time you were were uh, at the wet club? Um, I, I last week I think I've been going in pretty often because it's so close. Yeah, so self centered wet is. <laughs> <laughs> you just no shame third person knowingly. I, I love it. You know, no fucks given. Oh, the whack. <laughs> uh, he's, t yeah, yeah. All right. No, whack, we're not talking about you anymore. This is about, this is about John and what his can, life is. Can we for. schedule an IG live chat where we just talk about David? <laughs> like, it's, he's a, he's a virus. He's a virus in the matrix because people are already doing this, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, later, Weck. Uh, David Weck is the virus in the algorithm. It, he really is, and it, it's fascinating to watch. Um, yeah. Fascinating. I, I wonder sometimes if it's done purposely or if it's just the perfect storm. I think about that, like, with Trump, too. Like, did he yeah. somehow try to game it, or was that just he's just walking blindly and and the algorithm picked I mean, him up. Cool. If it is uh, a product of of a conscious strategy, then I would. Uh, that's that's the kind of intellect that scares me. Mm. People can get away with that when it seems as though it's just, you know, it's just a, a spawn of chaos. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I read somewhere that 42 of our presidents were uh, in the U.S. were psychopaths. Um, and it's like you have to have that in order to get to the top and have that Water in the charisma. Desert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Is Wex still yeah, here? Well, I, I, think, I, think, I think you need that. So as someone who, who has that and has the uh, psychopath traits past mm -hmm. all the, the tests, what is that What is that like? Do you think it, is it a burden? Is it a gift? Have you learned to control it? I mean, if, if you can control it, if, if you're not, you know, if it holds dominion over you to the extent where you feel like everything you do has to be of a grand design, then I think it, it, it might, you know, encumber you, it might feel like it, you know, tears you and wears you down. But if you can could control it, that must be very liberating. You're talking from firsthand experience right now? Yeah, well, I, I haven't decided whether or not I'm a psychopath or a high functioning sociopath. We've talked about this. Mm, mm. Yeah, but, um, that's true. One hundred percent liberation. <laughs> this is Weck taking over our conversation. 
and it's nothing it's nothing but love it's like the greatest yeah, yeah. it's the greatest thing ever uh. <laughs> we're just we're just peripheral nodes in the algorithm and right now david weck as he's saying is taking under not over mm, mm. infecting us in the most loving way with this with this virus and, and i'd like to bring up the algorithm um because i know you 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 posted um pharrell infiltrated your algorithm and and yeah. that part but you mm -hmm. you said even before you wonder about the um power it has over people and their decisions um mm. so do you want to talk about maybe some concerns of where that's headed because it's we're going a lot deeper especially as you know google and these uh search engines even though facebook and everything else they've actually passed laws on collecting information and putting people in algorithms so the the there's a fight going on right now yeah um yeah what are your thoughts on that i don't know i think i think there are two different types of algorithms one is digital and the other one is genetic um we then we have to kind of dive into the topic or we have to we have to acknowledge the topic of free will as well if we're going to talk about the algorithm you 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 get exposed to and yeah you, you get exposed to a certain type of digital algorithm every single day if you're watching this this live conversation or if you're a part of it then you have to be affected by it but you're also affected by a certain another type of algorithm which is based off of your genetic disposition um you you are way more than your conscious self you get affected by your genetic makeup and aspects of your environment that you're not even aware of and i think that we we have this idea that everything that is man made especially after the industrial revolution uh is you know malicious it has a it has a negative consequence because someone is uh harvesting the fruits of that man-made thing and in this case the algorithm we i think a lot of people fear it because it's man-made and we feel like we're kind of being being exploited and that's why it's a top the topic that we converse about and we discuss uh, because it feels like somebody else and something else has control over us but if we really think about it how how is it any different than a genetic disposition genes or, are also created for you know harvesting fruits so to speak. and yeah john i see it as the the digital algorithm which we're talking about which is man-made um but the cultural social algorithm which we follow mm -hmm. the genetic one and then there's like the the cosmic algorithm that spun mm -hmm. you know the planets the solar systems the laws of physics and nature like at every level it's almost like a fractal of this code and it's mm -hmm. funny that we're kind of creating our own and now it's being uh going through the machine but yeah there i think we've always been talking about this thing running us unconsciously uh throughout time yeah uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what kind of concerns I have. I mean, we 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 talk about the the need for transparency when it comes to the digi digital internet algorithm, but 
Um, if, if that is something that we want to focus on, then we have to kind of, we also have to focus on the, the lack of transparency in all the other algorithms. And it's kind of up to us to try to understand them better. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how this is going to affect. I mean, I don't know how it is affecting our social and cultural lives. The only thing I know that is that I, I get in touch with a lot of cool people. I get yeah. exposed to a lot of bullshit products, but I also get to know really, really cool individuals that I've, you know, I made friendships with them. I'm in a relationship with a person I met through the algorithm. I made a business or created a business with a person I met through the algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. If so I, good. <laughs> if it weren't for that and I never reached out and, and, talk to you and you never um had the idea of omu and invited me in and just just that alone that node of me connecting with you over a screen it changed my life uh, in, mm. in the trajectory and i think about every every time that's happened keith and here like even a phrase or a word or a passing totally changes who you are where you're going Wex. <laughs> It is a race to machine supremacy. Yeah. But, but I, I was thinking about that in the car right here. Like even my, my ancestors going back thousands of generations, one man meeting one woman, one decision they made, the weather, you know, these little things that could have, I couldn't have been here or maybe the course of history would be changed. It, it seems a lot less like, determinism and more like destiny <laughs> the more i think about it um but who knows that could just be the only way to stay sane and give it a story but uh it's fascinating to think about with everything that's happening it's hard to it's hard to uh if if you want to rationalize anything that's happening at all destiny is you know <laughs> destiny does come to mind if you're gonna try to process absolutely everything else that is going on then i don't think you can rationalize that it's too it's too complex i'm not i'm not smart enough uh, mm. but as david weck says a butterfly flaps its wings and far across the world dot 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 <laughs> the hurricane. who is the butterfly that's the question yeah who is who is the butterfly <laughs> Uh, commence the merge. <laughs> and yeah, when you say that, we all we laugh and we all kind of know it's around the corner, though, right? And we already have merged. We have this mm -hmm. portal in our hands that um, links us to all this information, knowledge, other people. It's pretty much an extension of us. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, play whatever. Yeah, yeah I, I I agree. It's it's. Uh... We're, we are already androids, um, and we, we uh, I mean, I think, I wonder how many people's mindset are affected by the thought. I wonder how my life, my, my real life affects my digital life, as opposed to, I wonder how my digital life affects my personal life. Because, I mean, we, we, we do lots of... Uh, uh, we have lots of conversations about how 
our social media life can have an impact on us personally, psychologically, socially, our health. Um, but I think that most, you know, subconsciously, a lot of us think think about how does my how do my real time actions, my real world actions, affect my digital avatar, and that's the priority. And sometimes I ended up in that mindset myself, and that then I become scary of the of the droid within. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I've almost uh, reverse like retroactively looked at um, my avatar on social media and what I was saying, the mm -hmm. um, the narratives I was saying, you know, the information, the little uh, nuances, and I'm like. I didn't know the how I changed outside until I looked back. I was like, well, that was me then. And it's a cool little timeline, a little scrapbook journal it is. Uh, it of is. your life, I mean, you know? It's just like a, a diary, uh, except that you're allowing other people to read it, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a highly edited revised diary. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be exciting to see how, like, I mean, the, the people I get exposed to on social media and the people I relate to on social media, they're, I mean, it's, it's such a small selection, uh, a very small group of people compared to all, everyone who is on social media. And I, I, and I wonder, like, how, where are, where the direction is going. I have my idea based on the people that I follow and the people that follow me, but at large, which direction are we going? Mm. I think um, it'd be wrong to say a good or bad direction, but it's definitely mm. going somewhere. Um, yeah. I, I, I think anything you could say that's a, this powerful tool, which could be used to connect to people, to share, um, all the good is going to have the bad with it can be used for addiction, can be used for manipulation. Um, and then the, the suicide rate amongst teens has gone up. They think and it's linked to social media and the phone. Um, but the one thread that's always there, no matter what is going to be personal responsibility. So can we use this? to as a, a form to grow ourselves to help and grow our community it, it all comes back to us i think so yeah and we are by to a very large extent the people that we surround ourselves with and a part of the mm -hmm. responsibility is to choose who you wish to include in your social media sphere um, and there are things you can do and there are things you can't do and not everything is under your control. But I do think that there are, um, there are many benefits to social media, uh, health wise and mental health wise. It's just that we haven't, we haven't, it's like a brand new tool. It's like all of a sudden, if you, if you gave a hundred thousand cave, cavemen flamethrowers, they could use it very responsibly or responsibly. They could actually make something good out of it, but we're not there yet. You know, we need time to understand how we can use flame for other things than setting each other on fire or self-immolation. Mm. It's the first thing I would do is set people on fire. 
if I were a caveman. <laughs> I was sure you were going to say it set myself on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just end this. Um, man, that's, yeah, that's a thought. And, yeah. and then again, to think that all the benefits we have of this order, law, society, were built on top of killing many people in fear and subjecting people to have the opportunity to have this mercy and democracy, whatever you want to call it, was built on war. Um, it is true. And so I, that's I what the that... machines will do to us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I also think that um, a lot of the conflict that we're talking about now is the conflict within a person. And social media is a very good way of bringing bringing the spotlight to that topic. Uh, it's a type of conflict that, like, if we're going to talk about taboos, the greatest taboo ever is, you know, mental health uh, or struggling or not being happy despite that you have everything that you need or um, anxiety, depression, psychosis, all these sorts of things, um, existential anxiety, etc. And I think there are a few tools that are as effective as social media when it comes to talk, when it comes to talking about this. So, like you said, um, a lot of the benefits that we enjoy today are the products of a, a war or a conflict. And I think that we can enjoy a lot of new, new uh, resources or new solutions if we just allow conflict to happen on social media. Uh, not just between individuals, but in individuals as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Can we read through some of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. And David, David Weck is on a roll. <laughs> oh. Um. The Book of Weck. We have to land on good. It's that simple. It is. Yeah, then I think the, the issue we're having is people are always going to disagree what good is, you know, because everything has is bounded with good and bad potential possibility. And there's always going to be that divide. That's what I see with with the algorithm um, from a business. I mean, if we want to go into the bad, which I think people are talking about the business aspect of targeting people, taking their information. Um, I almost feel like that's a, a, a first world, like wealthy people's problem that they have. If you're an entrepreneur trying to make it and you have something that, um, with anonymity can take all these people's data, target who you want, which is only a select few to reach them and give them a service you think you could provide. I see that as, as growing and connecting and helping the mom and pop entrepreneurs more than the, the Nike brands, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, it's, it's transparent, uh, transparent enough so that we get to be pissed off about it or worry about it. It's just transparent enough. Um, if we, 
if we think about other larger companies that focus more not on you know call to actions or uh, chasing leads or uh, finding information in individuals, but we talk about you know brands like Coca-Cola, uh, Apple, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The way they use branding is way less transparent. You know, they they have such a a huge amount of resources that they can they can kind of put their logo and their name, their brand into your mind subconsciously on a daily basis and you're not even aware of it. And they don't care about what kind of customer you are. They don't care about what your needs are. They don't care about which age group, which demographic you're from. The only thing they want to is to make sure that you remember their name. And uh, with social media and being able to target certain type of groups, finding a niche, that means that you're going to find niche providers. And these niche providers, they will, you will have a much more personal relationship with them. Uh, it's much easier to say no to something that you're aware of. You know? Mm. Um, so I don't see it necessarily as a bad thing that people have my information. Uh, sure, it can, be, it can be a bit scary, but um, at least in the EU, we have the right to say you have to remove all the information you have on me within 24 hours, and that's your responsibility. So if you don't want people to have your information, you have to, you can, you know, hold them accountable. If you're, if you hold yourself accountable. Mm. Mm. Do you know mm. anyone who drinks um, Pepsi or Coca-Cola? Yeah, yeah. Mm. You don't? I don't know. I, I know maybe two people personally, to be honest. Um, and they're more of a older generation. Yeah. I feel like it's, there's always that counterculture to, especially now, it's not cool <laughs> to, <laughs> to be these big name, name brand things. I think they see them as the establishment authority. And I like that we're looking for these hipster small things to support um, because it does relate to our identity. Um, and that goes back to the algorithm, goes back to who are the people that resonates with us. Um, and it's hard to connect to a big corporation like um, Coca-Cola or mm -hmm. Nike. Yeah. Did you, did you have a, a problem with authority growing up? Yeah, yeah. I have a, 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 had a distrust for authority, like yeah. a lot of my peers, definitely. Mm. It's interesting to see how <clears throat> the difference there when you compare people who come from different countries who are under different types of rule. Like here in, here in Norway, like people trust the establishment, and I don't. I'm not saying that there's uh, they're that they're naive or stupid to do so. Um, not at all. I'm not saying that it's stupid to be, to distrust the establishment either. It's just interesting to see how you know, growing up in various parts of the world, uh, change your rela relationship to something that is bigger and, well, bigger than you and has control over you and, mm -hmm. and that you, that is so complex that you can't necessarily understand it. Um, you know, uh, the authority, establishment, uh, the establishment, those things can be just as complex as, you know, the more 
the more uh, vague things we're talking about, like the al uh, algorithm. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny here in the in the States, I guess part of the social algorithm, uh, what I've seen a trend mm -hmm. is young, young people, college age people tend to be uh, anti uh, government and establishment. Mm -hmm. And then I think around my age group, uh, I've seen a lot of them turn to more libertarian. Um, mm -hmm. And then in the older population, I see very conservative. And it's like mm -hmm. a shift of your, your values or how you view these establishments as something you're fighting against to something that um, <laughs> you want to get behind for safety. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's it's, it's a, an amazing shift of perspective throughout life. Yeah. It is. And it brings us to the question that Oscar asks here. Uh, do you, uh, do you think that is because of a difference in uh, culture or a difference in establishment? Like here we can see three different age groups who relate to the establishment in different ways. Do you think that's because of how the establishment has changed or because of the difference in culture? Uh, well, Reem here is saying it's the same for her. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's global. Yeah, I think. Um, do you see that in Norway? Yeah, yeah, I do. Younger people are definitely more, more skeptical to the establishment. And I think I think uh, there there are many different reasons for it. I'm sure, but one reason that comes to mind is the older generation. They uh, got to have probably gotten to see. Uh, the benefits of the establishment, all the the hidden good stuff, uh, the benefits that come with, um, you know, being to a certain extent under that type of rule, but at the same time, they probably felt that they had more of an impact on that rule. Um, so I think that uh, a big reason why so many of us are contrarians or anti-establishment is because we, we, we don't see the benefits. It's mm -hmm. kind of like growing up with a smartphone in your hand. You don't understand how magical it is. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it's perfect. Uh, the governments are, are, governments are usually not perfect in any sort of way, but they do bring a lot of good things uh, that we take for granted and we can't see it because we grew up with those smartphones mm -hmm. yeah I, I, I mean I, I even see this on the level of um, relating to the the generation uh, of your parents before you uh, which is mm -hmm. kind of a, a mini government when you're growing up and yeah. you reach that that teenage age where you know everything and you say oh they don't get it and you try to rebel um, mm -hmm. And then now I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, fuck, I have a, I have a kid now. I'm like, I get it because <laughs> now I could see myself. I, I could relate more, I guess. I, I guess it's yeah. just an age gap. But it's like, oh, man, now I'm in that spot. And that's weird growing up as an adult to think now I'm here in the spot to make decisions for the future. Like, mm. I understand that now. And it's mm. different than than being 
um, a youth thinking, I would do this, let's change this until mm -hmm. you have that responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah. Um, so I don't think, I don't think words, because people have thought about this for a while and words aren't helping. I think it's just time. <laughs> time is yeah. the one element that changes perspective the most. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you don't necessarily, if you aren't aware of your responsibility or your impact on the world, um, you know, the easiest way of making sure that you feel that you are making a difference is to go against something that is the norm. Um, because then you're gonna, you're gonna meet a, you're gonna meet an opposition and you need to clash you need you need that that turmoil mm. uh let's see here uh, yeah, oscar says maybe connected to the ex oh, wait, wait uh maybe god damn it maybe connected to the expansion of communication and negativity bias more leaks doubt fear distrust against the, the establishment spreads faster and easier Yeah, um, like in regards to social media, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, it's much easier to appeal to someone's um, emotions through through a screen, I think, because <laughs> yeah, it's like it, time drips all the time. I I think voicing the negativity you have, and then um, coalescing with others, and then creating an echo chamber and magnifying that concern is greater than ever. But I think that's just because you have a loudspeaker, but people were always divided and always saying the same things. I mean, no matter how far back you go, people are like, we've never been this divided, but now we yeah. can just voice it on a screen to everyone else and get together and say it. So I don't know if we've changed so much as like, we just hear it's louder now, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think it's I, I don't think uh, social media in itself has made us worse listeners. Because <laughs> back I in the day, people used to shoot each other because of these uh, divides. Now we're just annoying <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Constant drips of annoyance, which I mean, I, I guess one of the downsides is that uh, experiencing the consequence of your words or your actions on on the internet, uh, the consequences are smaller, and the impact is larger because it, it's there's more of a compounding factor. I think it's like these tiny grips all the time. Mm. Yeah. By mm. the way, I, I asked in my story if people had some things they wanted us to discuss during our. <laughs> small hour of uh of narcissism and uh well <laughs> I, is I, the I future of humanity not enough john <laughs> did they want to learn about movement <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not, not too many movement related questions actually um oh thank god but uh uh we got one question which was just one word and that was psilocybin, and that was it. Mm. 
Now, I know that uh, you, you answered in one story not too long ago, which supplements you use uh, was a question. And you answered, it was, what was it? Coffee, food, and psilocybin? Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, supplements is a weird word because they're all, everything is food stuff. Everything mm -hmm. is chemical interactions with your body. What's yeah. the difference between a food supplement drug um, is maybe just a spectrum, I would say. Yeah. Um, so it felt weird writing that because I'm like, well, it's all food. <laughs> Yeah. Especially uh, if you have a whole food diet, mushrooms could just be part of that. Coffee might be one of the most processed things on that list. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, psilocybin uh, in, in that context of that question I was answering really is kind of in the supplement food form um, at the dose I'm saying it, which is micro dose. So it mm -hmm. is maybe less psychoactive than a strong cup of coffee, definitely. Mm. Um, but the benefits I would say are greater. Um, and, and I consider that, I know people say things are superfoods, which I hate. This is a real superfood. <laughs> <laughs> Psychoactive drugs are superfoods if you want to label them that. Uh, oh. yeah. So like, uh, did you, uh... Did you do an experiment with psilocybin? I know that you did experiments with uh, with uh, caffeine and what else? Caffeine, psilocybin, uh, cannabis, cannabis, uh, alcohol, yeah, alcohol. And you, you um, noticed the greatest amount of benefits uh, during the psilocybin experiment. Yeah, coffee, coffee, and psilocybin, um, oh, but they were kind of two different uh, types of benefits. Uh, okay. Coffee, the, the biggest benefit was respiration, um, breathing, uh, did breath holds, that was my record time. So that, that helped on the endurance uh, part. Mm -hmm. Psilocybin helped on the, um, the skill, the coordination, um, the intention, uh, and it was, it was, uh, it had a little bit of stimulant property to it, but yeah, alcohol, not good. Even though power increased in one yeah. test, cannabis was horrible. <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I think I overdid it though. Maybe at a micro dose cannabis could help, especially with stretching, um, in, in the yoga sense of, um, mm when I did the forward fold test on cannabis, um, I got lower and I felt a big stretch through my back, lower back. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just was, was sinking into it. But when I did the psilocybin and I went even further, I didn't feel a stretch in my lower back. I was like cramping in the, um, in my abs. I was getting a further active compression. Uh, and I was like sore the next day. So I was like, this is interesting. Uh, maybe if I were taking a, a yoga class or going in to get a massage, I might, cannabis might be better. But if you're doing some sort of gymnastics, um, closing in, loaded mobility, stuff like that, uh, I think psilocybin will actually help you train that better. 
so you could have a more permanent progressive uh, change eventually. Mm -hmm. So they're interesting as training tools. I think underrated all these substances. That's interesting. What do, what do you think that what do you think that you actively started to? There was more voluntary action when you used psilocybin. Um, I think the biggest opportunity it gives you is the depatterning. So I found the other PRs I got were going out of my normal kind of what I would tense and shift to and just exploring more. Mm. So I did a, I did a hold with the pec stick. Um, so it's like a, I think it goes up to a, a hundred kgs of, of tension. So you're squeezing it and I would go for a walk and I tested this every week and I would always get around the same time on the psilocybin. I was going and I found myself going, moving and I found a, a easier place to hold it. <laughs> and I went two minutes longer, huge PR. And that didn't, I didn't have a structural change or I didn't get stronger but I figured out an easier, more efficient way to do it. And I saw mm -hmm. that carrying over to everything. So even that forward fold, it's like, I want to stretch further. What do I have to do to get there? Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think it's more of a de-patterning and openness to holding a lot of variables and options in your mind and the ability to see more options, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. I like that you use the word de-patterning because uh, whenever we say re-patterning, re -patterning, it's just, it's, it's like this, it gives this very peaceful, serene image that, you know, the various nodes just gets shifted just a tiny bit. Mm -hmm. The neural network just gets pushed, nudged in a gentle position, but de-patterning, it sounds a lot like more destructive, <laughs> which I like. You need to destroy things to build, thing, build new mm -hmm. things. Yeah, especially when a lot of the patterns we hold are unconscious, you know, we're not even aware of them. Mm. And that's thought patterns, that's um, perception, that's awareness, everything. Uh, you don't did know. You Sorry. Uh, did you notice any, any uh, change when it came to like discomfort? I don't know if you had any, if, I know that your, your hip has been painful. Uh, I don't know. I had, say, a, I had a hip injury. injury. Yeah. Yeah. But did you notice any difference uh, after you started using psilocybin when it comes to pain? Because that is also very much decided upon mm. based on, you know, patterns. Hmm. I want to say yes, but there's too many variables to, to credit psilocybin. I'm sure it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's part of the piece, but yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, over the past couple of years, I've, yeah, I've improved my, my kind of hip function and some issues I've been having. And it has been from, I guess, a de-patterning and, and changing tensions and shifts. I'm sure some of that is related to psilocybin, but it, it might just be a small piece of the puzzle. Mm. Yeah. In a in a rehab setting. Yeah.
I, I think it would help a lot. Because a lot of, especially after injuries or trauma, a lot of that tension, that neurological tension is just protective, you know? Yeah. Unconsciously protective. And mm -hmm. I, I believe it stems back to an emotional part of the trauma, not just structural. Yeah, there's scar tissue, blah, blah, blah. But I think it, it goes deeper than that, um, especially when the rehab's done, but you still have these protective mechanisms and patterns. So I wonder that element of it, the, the, this um, psychological element, if that could be targeted through maybe that medicine and in conjunction with therapy, uh, I would just love to see it. Can't say for sure what would happen, but. Mm. Yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty interesting. Or, I mean, they're doing lots of things with, with you know, with uh, cannabis now, but I don't know if they're doing any type of research uh, with psilocybin as it pertains to pain, but that'd be pretty interesting based on what you're saying. Yeah, because I feel like people, people are already doing that kind of work with, if you go into the alternative realm of crystals and shit, you know, <laughs> um, they know that the emotion and the mind and the body are connected. But it's just the, the talk therapy and, and uh, acupuncture, all these other things, these active placebos, I guess we could call it, that do have some merit. It's just hit or miss, you know? I don't know how, I think the psilocybin is a better way to, cause that's the most active placebo. It really depends on your set and setting, your intention, how you're, you know, where you're putting that energy. So I think that could take those practices that are touching upon that, but it's, I don't think the rate of success is that high. I think maybe if they integrate that, it could, increase that rate of success if we're dealing with the nervous system as, as yeah. the the tool of change yeah no i agree i think i think when it comes to anything that is psychoactive we haven't we haven't done enough research especially in regards to pain um and i mean if we if we allow ourselves to speculate based on the results that we've seen so far in regards to, you know, what you call the deep patterning, I, I would assume that it can have an impact, at least on chronic pain, to uh, to a pretty substantial degree. Yeah, because you'd agree, I think, chronic pain, a big part of that is perception. Yeah. Perception of the pain of what's causing the pain of your own body is this piece of me bad is this movement I'm going into bad for me is it hurting me yeah. Um, yeah I've had experiences where in a session in a movement they've shifted their perception of it and their relationship to it and the pain stopped mm -hmm. but that's a very hard thing to do and it is kind of all up to them to change that perception um, so anything that could, I guess, facilitate or aid in that is a, is a powerful tool. And, and for a lot of people, the talking about it, maybe the talk therapy route isn't, mm -hmm. isn't uh, helpful for a lot of people.
people, especially men. Uh, yeah, you, you have to be, I don't like to say that you have to be open for, uh, to it because that kind of, it kind of, uh, it seems as though every person should be the same. You know, the only, the only way they would process information the right way is by having a verbal exchange with a therapist. And there are so many other ways of rerouting one's, uh, neural network or, uh, de-patterning or re-patterning. And like you said, like for a lot of guys, the talk therapy, it, just, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> you need an experience and that's mm. not the kind of experience you want. You might, you might want a physical or a emotional experience that you don't necessarily have to share to the world. That's exactly. Yeah. Cause when we yeah. talk about it, we, we could justify, we can rationalize over the, the issue. Yeah. Like, I know that wasn't my fault when I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> but the feeling is still there. You didn't change shit. You know, that's what you have to tap into the, the yeah. kind of felt experience and the yeah. words are, we're too clever for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. We, uh, speaking, speaking of, uh, we're cl too clever for that shit. I have another question for you. Oh <laughs> and that is another one of your the things you've been working on. And this was a question from Oscar uh, from OMU, and he was he uh, he wondered about the potential of this voluntary contraction, the intention, the type of uh, chi torque, uh, I guess, physical shadow work that you've been doing. Because right now you're focusing a lot on these contractions and making, well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what your intention is, but you, you you're the first person to say that, John. Thank you. Everyone else has told me what it is. Yeah, Qigong or something. If it is a medium for something, what are, what are you trying to pass through that medium? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, simply put, um, mind muscle connection. Uh, cause one thing that never s started not to sit well with me was the idea of, of irradiation. And I think we talked about this during my unit in OMU where it's just like, just squeeze. And it's like, but during a dynamic movement, you're squeezing with a direction. Mm -hmm. and, and it's very different. You could flex and squeeze as hard as you can, your lats in, in one kind of area of muscles with one direction, and then compress and squeeze another one really without changing shape. Yeah. And I think trying to help people because we see do this drill or this exercise or this movement, some people will improve with it. Some people it will help others people. It, it doesn't help. And I'm thinking what's fundamental to that. Some people might say joint ranges of motion where you can move, but I think tension is what we're not articulating to why some people succeed and feel better doing things and other people don't uh, because I yeah. think these people who are naturally athletic and excel at things, they, can harness their tension very well. Mm. And it's a language that 
instead of expressing that, they express, well, just do this. They're feeling mm -hmm. the tension, but they're explaining a movement. Mm. So looking back at like uh, the old school strongman, Maxic, um, you know, all these people, their daily routines were, it, it was almost like posing, bodybuilding. They would flex, you know, without, you know, moving into positions, they would be able to create massive amounts of tension throughout their body. And I think that's, that's the best set of options you can get. Bruce Lee used to fucking do that shit all the time. And uh, I think uh, we're going away from that into more just you need a certain type of, of, of movement, yeah. which I don't think carries over necessarily to power and force and load. Mm. Yeah, and especially if you're only able to create that type of tension in what we usually focus on, which would be the end range of motion. You know, mm -hmm. it, it becomes a very, you have a very limited vocabulary or a spectrum for tension because it's only at the end range. I and it's the easiest doing, place. Yeah, yeah. I actually started doing, uh, doing a bit more tension work today. Like I have a, I have um, like this whole morning ritual that I go through every morning. And uh, one of those, one segment of the ritual is just mobilization. I don't call it mobility work. It's just mobilize the joints in various ways. And uh, I've been working with different shapes, focusing on more the, you know, the, the superficial framework of things. Um, but today I actually started uh, working more with the tension and, and to basically to see if I can maintain the same amount of attention, of tension throughout the range of motion. And man, it's hard, but it's, it's a very, it's very, uh, it's very pleasant work. Like I, I really enjoy the feeling and it allows you to feel stronger. Um, Cause there's a thing like when you, when you focus on tension and, and ranges of motion, you, you associate tension with weakness because you are only harnessing that tension in the position where you are at your weakest, right? So your, your ability to use this feeling and the action of contracting your muscles as much as you can only happens when you are at your weakest. And I think having that clear association, uh, like a physical sensory cue, having that available in when you're closer to your, you know, just like a normal anatomical starting position, the Petrugan man position, I think that can, can do a lot of cool things. I'm excited to see, I'm going to start doing it, uh, like every five days or so. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. But so um, far, it felt good. It felt good. I'm also interested in, unless you're thinking of making this a product, which I think would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about what your morning routine looks like? Yeah, sure. Um, morning routine. Um, the first thing I do is to make myself a cup of coffee and my girlfriend a cup of tea. That happens every day. Uh, and as you know, I'm just shaking off the dust of my, my brain, which has just gone through very pleasant dreams. We've talked mm, about this. Mm. Uh, <laughs> then I boil my dream catcher. Uh, now I am, mm. um, uh, I have a 10 minute mobility um, or mobilization program. So then I basically, the Blue. rule is. Yeah. Sorry, man. This, uh, 
the, our hour limit was up. All right, no worries, man. The, but you're cool. talking about the vertical axis yeah. of technology. Yeah. So, so basically, we could like the the theme of the book is uh, you can either focus on globalization, which is to spread the current technology to as many people as possible, or we mm -hmm. can focus on you know uh, improving technology, and the so far one one very interesting theme is you know if we try to spread current technology the world won't be able to handle it you would you would have to you can't focus on globalization alone you need to improve technology so that um so that we get technology of a nature that is uh, sustainable if everyone were to um have it or take use of it mm. that's basically that's interesting yeah it's a, it's an interesting interesting topic um and uh another book is uh another book is, is well basically it's a marketing strategy book because i need to focus more on that <laughs> uh as you know <laughs> but it's kind of it's it's uh it's yeah cool because what you're basically what marketing uh, or what this book talks about when it comes to marketing is basically what is your what is your message, you know, uh, and how can you convey your message in the, in an elegant way that is not only important to you but you make it important for other people. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, and uh, the last book is a book on timing, like the um, circadian rhythm how we make, uh, how, you know, your decision process, uh, your decision-making process and your cognitive abilities change throughout the day. Mm. So it's cool. It's interesting. You're, you're, I knew you were a three booker. You just got to <laughs> switch from one to the other one when it gets boring, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much so. But, but I, 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 I don't really read to finish books, um, even though I, I kind of have the feeling that I should, because that's what society tells me. But I, <laughs> I, I, I'm more interested in reading things that um, harmonize with me uh, at any given time. Mm. Um, so like right now, I, I, I want to understand my message better. So that's why I'm reading marketing. I want to understand how, um, you know, when I should make certain decisions throughout the day. So that's why I'm reading on timing. And uh, yeah, mm. I just read whatever nurtures the soul and yeah. challenges the mind. That's good. I that's like to, um, I'm reading one book. And, uh, and I always purchase a second book and have it in queue. So I force myself to um, be miserable and rush through the book I'm reading to get to it. So I just end up punishing myself in the end and I don't retain the knowledge. But uh, I'm reading uh, Dune, uh, which is a science fiction oh, book. Yeah. Uh, great book, a lot of alchemical wisdom within the pages. Oh. A lot of a lot of sound bites in you. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good quotes. Uh, and then uh, I just finished uh, "How to Change Your Mind" by Michael Pollan. Um, yeah. Great book. Like uh, 
And it's, it's a good book for people who are unfamiliar personally with psychedelic use because he's coming in as a critic and a skeptic. Yeah. Uh, and he's very uh, distrusting of the psychedelic community. And then he experiences the um, chemicals. He goes into the therapies and the ceremonies. And at the end, well, now he's an advocate of psychedelics. But it's good to see him very cautious of the rhetoric you hear in the hippie circles and everything. Mm-hmm. So I think for people outside, it's a worthwhile book to read. Um, but at the end, I was like, yeah, I don't need it validated. It'll be a good re- book for you to you know, go through uh, if you wanted to recommend a book for me, if you were to try to convince me to try microdosing. Oh yeah, I mean, if you were ever interested, which I don't know if you are, it, it's a good, it's a, it actually goes through the history of the um, the LSD, and it, it's it, the history part is fascinating. The studies are fascinating. Like mm-hmm. over fifty thousand studies were done in the fifties and sixties on LSD, and all these you know benefits, and it was better than um, the antidepressants that came after. Uh, it's better than any type of therapy. Bill Walsh, the creator of AA, actually got sober from LSD and tried to incorporate it into AA, but they wouldn't allow it. So I was like, whoa, the research is there. Like, there's so much. But it was shut down because of because of the damn counterculture and hippies. The studies that he did on that, uh, during that time, in that era, that was a golden age for studies, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They had to write things down, didn't have like a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm also, you know, I'm fascinated on the, the studies um, that uh, the Nazis did as well, because they did a lot of horrible things, mm-hmm. but they just, whatever they wanted to know, whatever you could not conceivably get past, um, because, you know, it's a crime against humanity, they wanted to know. And if you look at what they're digging into, it was weird shit. A lot of occultism, um, yeah. a, a lot of weird things. A lot of, they went into uh, Tibetan Buddhism um, a lot. They thought there was something there. So it's fascinating. But yeah, I wonder if we can create a simulation where we just test everything we want without any moral obligations. And then with those people in the simulation, would that be a crime against their experience? Would, would they be? What would you like to test? What would you test if you if you have that kind of simulation program readily available for you? I would like to see the how much genetics really plays a role. If you could make the same person, you know, identical genetically, biologically, and put them in different scenarios and see how much that alters their decision-making. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be cool if you could do, like, you could clone one test subject, like, a hundred times, and just put mm-hmm. them through the ringer. <laughs> I think would either need a lot of psychoactive substances or trauma. Yeah, uh, dude, in, in 
that's something exciting because I think soon we will be doing a lot of experiments with um, psychoactive substances. But I think we're gonna have to change our the kind of the scientific method because with a lot of these things, it's not about the chemical interaction on the physical level. It's about the emotional, it's about the per change in perception and perspective shift, which is subjective. So it's like, can that be something you test, something subjective? It's like we said, it's pretty much going into the act of placebo. But I think that's the future of, of these medicines. Oh, yeah. There, uh, there's a drug cabinet in the brain that we, we haven't gotten to exploit yet. Mm. Oh, someone said three identical strangers. And that's a good uh, documentary. If you guys check it out on Netflix, I think. Oh, I need to write that down. I haven't seen that. Yes. <laughs> Dude, so it's, I'll give you just the, the intro. It's three, um, it's, it's this one guy who in his, I think he was in college, he saw something in the newspaper, or no, he went to a college dorm room mm -hmm. and um, everyone on the campus was high-fiving him you know, uh, calling him by another name. And they're like, they must think I'm, you know, why are these people coming up to me? Mm -hmm. And then someone comes in and was like, you're not this person. And he's like, no. And they're like, what the hell? You look exactly like him. So they call this other guy and they found out that they met and they were identical twins, but they didn't know it. They were both mm -hmm. adopted. Mm -hmm. So they were on the news as like 20 years later, they found their, you know, brother, their identical twin. Another person saw this and saw it looked exactly like their friend. So they contacted him and then they all met and it's these three identical twins who were separated at birth. All of them leading very different lives, but they all had two parents and a sister. Um, and then come to find out this adoption agency, um, was paid to do this experiment with twins. And so they were all set up in similar family structures, but different levels of income. Uh, and they found out it wasn't just them, it was all these twins they did it to. But the study is actually closed. I forget the university, they won't allow it to be open until a certain time, until everyone's dead who did the study. Oh, wow crazy shit but i yeah i'd like to see what they found we need we need a countdown timer for that for yeah. those results to be released but it's amazing all the three twins their mannerisms their likes um mm -hmm. their relationships all so similar even though they grew up in completely different backgrounds same same with pain man mm. lower uh, like lower back pain, twins were, were raised in different parts of the world, not just different parts of the country, but different parts of the world, different interests, different physical uh, experience with physical activity, get back, back pain at the same time in their lives. Whoa. Yeah. Like, um, 
I think that one of the things that needs to change when it comes to pain is not the management of it. It's our perspective, uh, our perception of pain. Mm -hmm. We perceive pain as being an anomaly, an abnormality. And if it happens, then something is severely wrong. And in many cases, it, it, it is, yeah. But it is also a natural part of life. John, it's the ancestral trauma that's passed down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be healed. Yeah. I mean, the, it's scary because, I mean, how many professionals, how many trainers, how many therapists are willing to talk about pain, not as, you know, something that they should be able to solve or prevent or mitigate based on, on their competency? Very few, because it kind of, you know, would you trust in a person who says, no, it's natural or it's a part of life? No, you want someone who gives you the solution, how to get rid of it or how to prevent it. But I think th this is one of the reasons why musculoskeletal pain is such a big is issue is that we actually don't talk. We only talk about it as in terms of what is wrong with you. When we should talk about this, this pain thing, it might very well happen to you, even though everything is as it should be. Uh, it, it might just be a natural part of life. And um, like with so many other things, it's not about preventing it or um, curing ourselves of it, but learning how to manage it first. And people's injury or pain management skills are, are shit. <laughs> Mine included, mm. you know, we panic. There yeah. is so much fear involved. Um, I mean, I, I think I mentioned it to you some time ago. You know, when, when the Western healthcare system was introduced to the Aboriginals in, in Australia, before that healthcare system and the terms they used was introduced to the Aboriginals, uh, social anthropologists would, would come and visit and would ask, hey, do you, any of you have back pain? And these aboriginals, they go, well, of course. Yes. Look where we live. We live in a barren wasteland. Like, the things that we do every day are stre it's strenuous hard work. Uh, we don't necessarily get eight hours of sleep every day, and we certainly don't get all of our vitamin K or B12. Yes, we have back pain. And then the social anthropologist asks, well, what do you do about it? And they say, well, what do you think we do? We relax. We, 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 we sleep. We, we try not to stress out about it. It's going to happen. But we relax. You know, we, we allow it to, we, we, we try to heal the pain. And when they say, say heal the pain, that's not only physical. But then, of course, when the Western healthcare system gets introduced to these people who aren't aware of what, you know, a disc herniation or an L5 is, as soon as those terms, those ideas about uh, disc protrusions, disc herniations, uh, slip discs, lumbago, tight hip flexors, as soon as these terms are introduced to these people, what happens to the rate and the prevalence of lower back pain it increases. 
course it does, because now all of a sudden, it's not something that can be healed, it's something that must be cured, and that has a very specific, um, there's a very specific origin to it. Mm. That's not to say that, you know, pain doesn't have specific reasons. It does. If you, if you, if you drop a 20 pound dumbbell on your foot, then the cause of your pain is very clear. And if you, if you do something to a body part that that body part isn't ready for, then yes, there will be pain. But there's many other reasons as to why pain can appear. And our, our fallacy, uh, our flaw when it comes to how we relate to it is to think that if it does appear, it has to have a very specific reason. In fact, it might just be written in your DNA that at some point in your life, you might experience some sort of pain. Hmm. Possibly. 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 It's not, it's not, it's not a given. That's, that's for sure. I, I definitely, I think, I think you're right. It, it's definitely perception. Um, <laughs> is linked to a lot of chronic pain mm. and a lot of therapists are just going at it from the structural manual part, which yeah. you'll see some um, improvements short term. And then there's people who go the, Oh, you just need to train the function of this part and, and you're yeah. dysfunctional. Yeah. And, and the success of that is around the same. It doesn't always fix what's going on. But I think what you said that the, I think there is something emotional. There is something about your perception of your body, your perception of movement. And mm -hmm. I just think how we organize ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and going back to um, the, the, the feeling of the body and the, I had an experience a while ago it was during holotropic breathing, um, which is pretty psychedelic uh, experience, but you're going deep into this breath and it's a lot to do with the, the diaphragm and the, and the gut, you know, it's just opening. And I felt my body kind of tensioning towards one way with, with the hip. I had a big injury in a while back. And I was like, wow, why, why is it doing that? And then I just changed. And I realized I was just holding tension in this yeah. one area. And I just kind of brought it back and let it go. And I was like, I've been doing that the whole time. Yeah. Even whether rotating this way or that way, I was doing it with a certain tension. Yeah. And this is before I even got into the idea of training torque and everything. Mm. Um, and I think no amount of mechanical, physical work from someone could change that because it was all, I was holding it all myself. Um, and I didn't even know it was there. So that deep work, that inner work, um, I wonder if that stem, if that is something to do with, uh, your your 
DNA, if that's something that's passed down, if that's some energy that's goes beyond um, strictly the physical explanation. Mm. And I wonder if that could expand it to cultural things, to, you know, to emotional points in your life that cause that. Because it is, it's holding on to something and it expresses physically. Where yeah. it stems, I have no idea. Yeah. yeah, no, but I think history shows it, uh, shows us pretty well that we're, we're not very good at dealing with trauma. <laughs> Emotional, psychological, societal. Uh, <laughs> you know who I'm going to go see, John? What? Oh, gray bear, gray bear. bear. I, I am. <laughs> That's I am. cool. What are you? I, I I told myself I was this weekend. I was like, God, I gotta go see Grey Bear. Um, <laughs> I, I and I, I don't want to, but I need to. Yeah. I uh, Reem wrote because you didn't visit your dad. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. He told me to, and I didn't. Um, see what Grey Bear can do. Uh, paternal right side coincidence i don't know <laughs> that is when the injury happened just by the way john yeah right after my dad passed away so you need to die to visit him <laughs> what's that <laughs> you need to die to visit him oh. <laughs> <laughs> i have oh, to travel into the underworld <laughs> for from my therapy Brader is introducing you to the final solution <laughs> <laughs> drink of this kool-aid my child <laughs> all, all your pains will go away oh man no, he's not wrong though but uh, dude i see the because when my logical brain thinks about what he's doing it's so ridiculous but on the deeper levels I, get, I, I could see how the words are just a tool to, to do some other type of work. And mm -hmm. I, it, it opens me up to these alternative practices because you could easily say it's bullshit from what they're saying and doing. But the, mm -hmm. the felt experience and the perspective changes, maybe that's the best that culture had to work with. Or maybe that's what's formed to address that component. Yeah, and I would yeah. love to have the Western version of that. And that, I think that's what psychedelics is because it's actually, okay, it's a mm. chemical we can measure and administer at a certain dosage. Mm. Maybe that's a good entryway to this type of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, th I, I mean, the experience you get, the narrative that you get exposed to or that you get to place yourself into I think that is also, you know, the the Western world's best best option. It's just that we have um, become so stifled by the idea that uh, our Abdulism, that there's a mind and there's a body, that we, whenever we talk about emotions or about human experience, we do so only on the level where where we can categorize and put names to whatever we experience. And you, we can do that to a lot of things uh, without a doubt, but there are limits to what we can label.
uh, when it comes to human experience. And sometimes just being exposed or being in a situation where you can experience something or being placed in a story where you where those labels aren't available it's it's a great way of dealing Mm -hmm. with yourself yeah yeah but i wonder can we make can we make a science of shifting perspective and changing story i mean so far the greatest science we have for that is virtual reality Mm. you know stroke virtual reality for stroke patients learning how to walk again um, people who have um, severe PTSD, phobias, exposure training. And what is exposure training but experience? Hmm. Uh, the, yeah. the only the sad thing is that we're not, we're not good storytellers anymore. Yeah. That was, what yeah. Our, that was how we entertained each other. That is how we taught one another uh, valuable lessons that, you know, couldn't be passed down by, you know, doing, um, you know, manual tasks alone. And we have lost that storytelling capability. And we've exchanged it with entertainment. And now, luckily, entertainment has caught up to to that ability, which, you know, is to tell stories. And that's through VR. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think what storytelling capacity we have or or maybe identity is kind of perverted through social media. Not that it's bad, but it's, it's something that's never tested continuously in a Mm -hmm. social structure. Um, And I think that creates that, that um, disconnect Mm -hmm. with the true self. Mm. And I think there's a lot of, anxiety pain that comes from that alone you know yeah yeah i i i definitely feel that man i have a i have a hard time sometimes coming to grips with the person i think people see me as on social media you know yeah because it it is it's your idealized self which is good you're putting out what you want who you want to become But yeah, it's uh, real life. What this does, it is in real time, constantly giving you feedback and testing you and mm-hmm. people calling you out. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's just, you. it's so far removed on social media. You don't have that instant feedback. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't even get the instant feedback of sh- sharing yourself in a situation where you feel observed it's not observation that you, you you don't feel observed when you post things on social media you feel um, either more or less gratified you know um, mm. I don't know like I'll be honest I don't know if I could share the things that I share on social media in front of other people <laughs> to be honest me neither <laughs> me. like I, I feel like, more comfortable sharing it to close people to me on social media than in person. Yeah, I agree. It's weird. How fucked up is that? <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> do, do, you feel, uh, 
you you sometimes feel like you need to catch up with your online online avatar yeah i mean it, it's almost a i feel like it's a not a mask but a shield i could wear um and, and i'm kind of deeper inside of that but i think it helps i think it could be used to help bridge yeah. If yeah. the, if that outside shield goes inward into mm -hmm. the more vulnerable, intimate part, and maybe it could help pull it out to light, or it could just hide it even more. So I, I think it depends how you use it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, you know, like... I've taken a pretty long break from social media now. I haven't posted anything in quite some time. Yeah, I noticed and, that. It builds yeah. a mystique. I, I think see you working. That's exactly what I'm going for. That's my my new online pers persona is Mystique from X Men. Mmm, shapeshifter. Um, shapeshifter. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm 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 gonna try to get back in the game and try to post a bit more frequently, but. Uh, I'm just trying to understand, like, uh, I guess I'm trying to understand how I've been affected by it. You know? How do you feel you've been affected by it? I, I think, I think that there are certain nuances of, of, or parts of my personality that I don't quite understand. I'm not fully aware of and these these small tidbits they get kind of people put a spotlight on those things and that's how they often describe me is to focus on these elements that I'm not even aware of and then I feel like I kind of have to catch up with that when in fact maybe I don't know if it's that I'm not ready or if I don't feel that it's a part of me mm. um, And I, uh, I and I think I also feel like a pressure to perform, you know, which is, which I don't want to. <laughs> John, this is all just a curse of your high level intellect and self reflection. Or uh, my ignorance is bliss, my friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna have to hang out more with Uncle Weck. <laughs> He can uh, merge me he, with a machine. Yeah, he could show you how to take your ego, use it in third person, and, and just use it to guide the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reem, before I go, you had a question, How? what helped my hip? Um, really just the concept of torque and, and another tool or perception, the, the torque perception helped me. Um, that's just me personally, anecdotally, and a few people I work with, but, uh, you yeah, that, who knows, pain. You did that RC experience, right? When you focused on internal external torque and with the, uh, the, uh, hover, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the odd thing about me is I got an FRC because of that hip issue and, um, Oddly enough, after that injury, I had way more internal rotation 
active internal rotation. <laughs> and uh, that did not, that actually made it feel worse when I was uh, training that. And um, yeah, I realized I just could not, I had an opposite torque on that side always. And it was creating this torsional thing. Um, but yeah, hopefully the language in that gets researched more and, uh, yeah, who knows, but cool, John, I got to get going. Thank you so much for this chat. Can we do it again sometime? Yeah. Soon? Uh, <laughs> yes, I would love to, uh, Matthew, I don't have the, I'm, I'm follically impaired. I cannot grow a full venture. Uh, yeah, let's do another live soon. It was good chatting. Yes. All right, brother. See you soon, man. See you on the algorithm.